Hey, everybody. Okay, so this week's gratitude entry, because you know we're still checking along on these, it's for the ASHA Leadership Development Program. I had the pleasure of being in a small group called The Source. When you get in the LDP program, they like designate you into a small group. And the ladies in my group have imprinted on my soul with their unwavering pursuit of courage in the face of fear, both professionally and socially. And I am so grateful to have been surrounded by them for that year-long in-depth mentorship program. And then to be able to continue our friendship in this field and build each other up from halfway across the continent. So to the ladies of the source, ah, thank you. And y'all, seriously, if you see an issue in our field today, today with one breath, let the frustration and anger out of your soul. And with that next breath, put your britches back on, Suck it up, buttercup, which is may or may not be a packed awesome motto, and we can be the source of change. So I hope that you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Also, if you can hear the tiny humans in the background, working mom life. Hi folks, and welcome to First Bite, Fed, Fun, and Functional, a speech therapy podcast sponsored by SpeechTherapyPD.com. I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MS, CCC, SLP, CLC, the all things PEDS SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention right there with you. I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, here in Town, South Carolina, and I guess lecture nationwide on best practices for early intervention for the medically complex and fragile child. First Bite's mission is short and sweet, to bring light, hope, knowledge, and joy to the pediatric clinician, parent, or advocate by way of a nerdy conversation, so there's plenty of laughter too. In this podcast, we cover everything from AAC to breastfeeding, ethics on how to run a private practice, pediatric dysphagia to clinical supervision, and all other topics in the world of pediatric speech pathology. Our goal is to bring evidence-based practice straight to you by interviewing subject matter experts to break down the communication barriers so that we can access the knowledge of their fields, or as a close friend says, to build the bridge. By bringing other professionals and experts in our field together, we hope to spark advocacy joy and passion for continuing to grow and advance care for our little ones. Every fourth episode, I join in. I'm Erin Forward, MSP, CCC, SLP, the Yankee by way of Rochester, New York transplant who actually inspired this journey. I bring a different perspective, that of a newish clinician with experience in early intervention, pediatric acute care, and nonprofit pediatric outpatient settings. So sit back, relax, and watch out for all our squirrels and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. All 
inspiring, everyone. Oh, I like how we go to record and right out the gate, my face freezes in the camera. Isn't that lovely? (laughs) Okay, so, y'all, we have two guests today that truly are the epitome of leadership and what the best we have to offer to each other. And I am absolutely honored and humbled to have them on today. So with all things, you know, I like a good backstory. So here's our backstory. When I was a little girl, I would complain about something or identify a problem, as my daddy would say. And he would give me a moment to speak my piece and to speak my mind because, you know, he was raising, God help me, he raised five of us. And that's how we were raised, right? But He would always explain with one breath, you can complain about a situation, but with that next breath, you put your big girl britches on and you work for a resolution. So how are you going to fix it? And it was always this moment of, but you have to be held accountable. And that's how I was raised. And I know that's not a typical way to talk to a child as if they're an adult, but it worked for us. And pass forward a lifetime later, I carried that philosophy and mentality with me into our profession. Trust me, there have been the days years ago in my profession when I would say, why is this happening? What's going on with our state? Why has South Carolina lost its marbles and how come Ash is not fixing it? But let me tell you, you are your state association. How many times have we said that on this podcast? And you are Asha. If you see a problem You have the ability to put your drawers on tight and to work for resolution, okay? And that's what we're talking about. I noticed some problems here in South Carolina, and I volunteered on our state board. And one thing led to another thing, and that led to me getting into a volunteer position where I felt out of my depths because I didn't have the knowledge or the skills in order to do what was necessary at our state level. So on a whim from a student, thank you, Sarah Ditzel, I applied for the ASHA Leadership Development Program. And good God almighty, I got in and I was accepted concurrent to bear being potty trained. And somehow I managed to spend a week in Minnesota training while my husband was deep diving potty training and we survived. All of us survived and bear eventually got potty trained. (laughs) But I was given and equipped with the tools that I needed that have put my voice here that have allowed us to open doors to fill your cup so that when you're listening, you can take the information and implement practice. So this past Asha, because y'all know I have speaker anxiety, I got my gumption up because Aaron may or may not have elbowed me in a very stiffly in a rib. And I went and I spoke with Andrea Falzarono, who I know I butchered it, but I asked her, if she could come on the podcast to talk about leadership development and why we move Asha forward and how we give of our time. And she said, hey, I got a better idea. How about you and I do it, but we also do it with the Asha CEO, Vicki Deal Williams. Oh my gosh, my mouth hit the floor and I was like, don't be awkward, Michelle, don't be awkward. And I was, but here we are. And wow, they're here to share with us how we can actually work to make things better. So in this month of May is Better Speech and Hearing Month, I am honored to present two women to fill your cup. So ladies, thank you for coming on. It is absolutely our pleasure. Absolutely glad to be here, Michelle. 
Uh, okay, so I'm pretty sure my face is going to be frozen in that lovely awkward position for the rest of the viewing. And y'all, you listen, and I know you can't see it, but always oh, she's a humdinger. But okay, so let's let's start from the beginning. Vicky, can we please? I feel like I feel like I need to call you Mrs. Vicky because I'm like, but yes, but no, nope, Vicky works. That's the name my mother gave me. <laughs> Well, my dad calls me Michelle because there's a backstory that I'm going to avoid, but I prefer Michelle. So, <laughs> but how did you become a speech pathologist? And then how did you take these steps to propel us on our next generation? Wow. You know, it's funny. I think I became a speech language pathologist the same way many of our ASHA members and our colleagues have gotten into the professions really kind of flukish. I needed a basic science course, and I went to Northwestern University. There were a number of pre-med students taking math and science courses in my freshman year, and I almost flunked out of calculus. So I learned very quickly that I needed to not take classes with that same group of individuals. So I was looking for another kind of a science course that would count as basic science. And I happened upon a class called Processes and Pathologies of Human Communication. And so it worked as a basic science, met the requirement. I took that class and I got sucked in and realized there is this thing called speech language pathology. And it was for me a cross between being the pediatrician that I wanted to be without going to med school and the altruistic individual that I think I just have been built to be to try to help people and especially kids. So let me see what I can do with this profession. Getting to the chair that I sit in now, we don't have time for that whole story. Um, basically, I have been sponsored. There are people who saw something in me, who put me in places, gave me an opportunity to do what I was capable of doing, things that they saw that I could do. And I tried to build in as many opportunities, take advantage of as many of those things as I could. And to be honest, I did work my tail off. I'm still doing that. But to have an opportunity to be in the CEO role at ASHA is something that I did not always aspire to do, but others saw in me. And I am eternally grateful for that. And I am just here to try to do my part to make our professions and our discipline a better place for those of us who have that same altruistic bent. Oh, I love that. We've talked on past episodes about the difference between a mentor and a sponsor. And a mentor is somebody who's going to fill your cup in the moment. And that's one of the joys about being a clinical supervisor. But that sponsor, they will speak your name into a room of possibilities when you're not there. Exactly. And yes. Yes, we need those in our lives. Yes. Okay. And Andrea, I love following your Facebook feed with beautiful stained glass. This is my favorite <laughs> fact about <laughs> She does beautiful stained glass artwork and jewelry. So, yay. Yeah, so, that, that gets at like four o'clock in the morning and, you know, five in the morning on weekends so because, you know, I 
there's a lot going on at ASHA, but it is my other passion. And yeah, I'm a morning bird and there I am with all my glass creations working down in my studio. (laughs) Now, you're not a speech pathologist by trade. So can you talk to us about your career and your profession and how it complements what it is that we do? Absolutely. So I am from upstate New York, a small little town called Frankfurt, New York. And I went to school, college in Albany at a small school that has an SLP program called the College of St. Rose. And within that program, that was my major, but life happened in my senior year and I stumbled into Albany being the capital. I stumbled into an internship at the New York State Capitol. And that kind of launched my career for many, many years. I ended up in the legislature as an aide. And then I found that really I loved the association management element that I grew to know. And that started a career in association management from 1989 to today. So about 12 years ago, moved to Northern Virginia, and I saw this opportunity for a director of governance operations at the American Speech Language Hearing Association. Now, being in the association community for those many years, I had always heard about how ASHA was a cutting edge association and its best practices and its innovation. And when I saw that, I said, I want to work there. And so I applied 12 years ago and I was lucky enough to come here and I've been here ever since. And what I tell people is that I was able to marry my undergraduate degree to my profession that I worked in, association management. And here I've been with a great opportunity working side by side with Vicki as my leader for, gosh, 12 years now. I can't believe, almost 13 actually. Amazing. I love this. I had a panic attack in undergrad and thought I wanted to go to law school because I love a good fight. I love good advocacy, right? And always for the underdog. And my dad said, no, ma'am, you are supposed to do what it is that you are supposed to do and advocacy will happen your way. That's how I got into Skisha was VP of governmental affairs. And I was like, I get to be like a lawyer SLP. And my dad's like, just remember, you're not a lawyer first though. (laughs) (laughs) But did either one of y'all ever get to collaborate with Haley Jones when she was there? Oh, absolutely. Haley was her. Yes. (laughs) And she was a member of the governance team for uh, seven, eight years. And then she moved on with her career in association management. Here at Governance, we tend to have people, we're a small but mighty team of four people, but our background tends to be association management. And we have four people, Carmen Santana, Marty Moore, and Aaron Dalder-Alfer and myself. And so, yes, Haley has moved on to great things. Yes. Haley is a former mentee of mine, and I still keep in touch with Haley. As a matter of fact, Haley started doing some DEI work with the organization that she's with now. And so she and I have touched base and I've connected her to some folks that have been able to help her in the work that she's doing in that arena. 
She's actually a past guest and we've talked about DEI and leadership and advocacy. And yes, I met her through the LDP program. This is how her and I's paths crossed. Yes. Oh, lovely. Okay. So folks, we have all seen, let's get to the meat and the potatoes of it. We have all seen the negativity that the internet can throw our ways. We've seen people complain and gripe and moan and lay the blame game. And I don't have time to sit there. So step one, if you follow that on your feed, unfollow. Step two, follow round dot boys. It's spherical shaped animals and it will bring joy to your soul at the end of the day because it's fuzzy, fluffy creatures that like fall down. It's wonderful. And then step three, please go pull up the Asha leadership page. It's directly on the website because here's what you can do. I want y'all, if you're driving, don't do it now. But when you're stopped, pull it up on your website because this will be your landing pad for how you can start your change process, right? So could we start with what's the history? Let's start first with, Vicki, what does leadership mean to you Like within our profession? Can you kind of describe that? Like, What is your thought process behind that? That's a very big question. It is. That's a huge question. Leadership to me is the abilities, the skills, the knowledge that an individual brings to bear in a given situation. And I say that as generic as it sounds, because I think a lot of people assume that leadership is positional. A lot of people assume that, you know, because I'm the CEO of ASHA, that makes me a leader. The reality is there are people who lead behind the scenes at all levels of organizations and from all walks of life in lots of different situations. And I think at any point in time, there are things within all of us that we can call on and call up and put to use in a situation that makes everybody stop and think, oh, either I hadn't thought about that before, or that's really interesting, or that's a new perspective, or yes, we need to think about that. And that's the result of leadership. So anybody who causes those things to me is a leader. Yes. I sometimes think it gets confused for for who talks the loudest or shines the brightest. And I have witnessed individuals lead with the smallest of gestures and empower others in that process. And that is often underestimated in truth. So I don't know how many iterations we're into the LDP program, but I do know that the tools garnered from it have been absolutely instrumental. So how was this project born to kind of move and propel us? Sure. I can take that, Vicki, if you'd like. So the Leadership Development Program had its iteration a different format in 2007 and 2008. And that was an intensive, I think, weekend program where there was an intensive workshop on site for participants to come in and develop their leadership skills. And, you know, it got into everything from parliamentary procedure to taking minutes. So it was retooled in 2010 with a different focus. And the focus being that anybody 
who was going to go through this program could develop their soft skills for either the profession to move up in their career or for a volunteer role with a state association, a related professional organization, or obviously for ASHA. And so it launched a program that started, it's a year-long program, and it's to develop members' leadership skills for both the profession as well as their volunteer career. And it involves a kickoff workshop here at ASHA's office, as well as eight webinars that takes a deep dive on one leadership topic per webinar. We have a great facilitator, Kevin Norris and his team, who facilitate these programs. And it's moved into the realm of things we hear like, it's changed my life. It is a well-received program. It is foundational now at ASHA where people actually seek it out. Mm -hmm. When I went through it, so on the participant side, folks, when you have to apply for it and you have to put together a project, what it is that you hope to accomplish in a year's time? So as long as you're not driving, everybody sit back and think about what is the one thing in your state, in your hospital, in your private practice, or in your community that keeps you up at night. The factor that it's such a big task, but you're overwhelmed at even attempting to break it down into the little parts to move it forward, right? So here in South Carolina at the time, it was music therapist, scope of practice for music therapist. And we were battling them big time. They had literally copy pasted our scope of practice and trying to obtain a license, right? That was my project going in that was accepted. And in the middle of the year, we had the Charleston shootings. I'm not sure if y'all remember that years ago. So my project pivoted because as a state, we lost a colleague and I ended up leading the board in a project to set up the Sharonda Coleman Singleton Memorial Scholarship, which has since funded minority speech language pathologists in obtaining scholarships. And we've done it every year. And that I would not have been able to do in that moment of crisis had I not been getting the skills in order to how to pivot. And through the LDP program, folks, you can also donate unofficially, here's a plug. Y'all can donate to the Sharonda Coleman Singleton Memorial Scholarship. It's right on Skish's website. And trust me, I've seen the faces. It goes to amazing future leaders in our field. But what I was uncomfortable with in the program was that first quiz, Kevin Norse, Dr. Norse had us do this parent, like, what is it? That personality test? The emotional intelligence assessment. Yes. Yes. I my leadership style as a pace setter. Good Lord, I know I have ADHD, but it was like highlighted right there in statistics. <laughs> but like, <laughs> that was, it was profound. So what does that look like now? How is the LDP in its current, how many cycles and participants do you sure. have a year? What does that look like? Well, we are about to enter our 12th year in the leadership development program. And it is about to go through a little transformational moment when we launch uh, the cohort in April. But you're talking about the kickoff workshop. So that kickoff workshop has an emotional intelligence component to it so that people 
participants take the assessment, which you were referring to, and Dr. Norse is the person, he's, he's a leadership development PhD trained in all of this and in, in uh, understanding assessments of EQI. And he then prepares these results that are confidential and the participants can see a baseline of their strengths in areas of growth. And through the program, they can try to specifically work on those areas of growth. And you learn all about how important emotional intelligence is in not only your professional career, but your personal life and your volunteer journey as well with organizations. That right there is very eye-opening for people. And they really walk away with, wow, I never knew that about myself. And you have ideas, but it can drill down specifically. So we're in our 12th year, and one of the wonderful things we're going to be doing this year is adding a half day to the kickoff workshop. And that half day is all going to be about foundational concepts of DEI and how you as a leader need to incorporate them into your leadership toolkit. And so we are really excited about that. I mean, really excited. We're in the final development phases with Dr. Norse and a person from his team, and that's Tasha Granger, who will facilitate that half-day workshop. And of course, Vicki has been involved in the development of it, but Vicki's replacement, Megan Bradham, Dr. Megan Brett Hamilton, who is now the chief staff officer of multicultural affairs, has been instrumental in helping develop that as well. Yes, we need this. I'm kind of jealous that I didn't get that now. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing that Andrea did, the other thing that Andrea didn't mention is we've asked Dr. Norse Kevin to look at all of the modules and the webinars across the curriculum to assure that DEI is addressed where it needs to be as he talks about leadership and shares information with the participants on all of the topics. So we've tried to do that across the board in the organization. This is one example of how that's coming to light. Absolutely. And just so you know, if you miss the DEI component, and I know hopefully we'll squeeze in a chat about the Leadership Academy, which is different than the Leadership Development Program, but there's a DEI free webinar, Foundational Concepts in DEI in Ashes Leadership Academy. So you can still get it. And it's taught by Tasha Granger. Excellent. Okay. I have to say the microaggression miniseries that came out, I think, was that two years ago? That was wonderful. We had Dr. Michelle Norman. I can never call her anything other than Dr. Norman because she was my professor. And I know we worked together, but like as she was the graduate studies coordinator and I was the clinic coordinator at Francis Marion, but I still could not call her anything other than Dr. Norman because it was so cool that she was like right there. But she led our graduate cohorts through. When those came out, we embedded those materials into our new student orientation there at Francis Marion. And it was wonderfully done. So we took 
those components. So folks, if you're listening and you're doing this, you can pull these materials into, say your faculty, you can pull these materials into your coursework, into your orientations, into, may I suggest remediation programs? Not that I've had to do that once or twice, but yes, excellent tools. Now, that being said, one of the questions that I've had asked, well, how much does the LDP program cost and do you actually get CEUs for it? Because you know, some we live on a budget and there is that CEU component cost factor too. Sure, sure, absolutely. So just know that ASHA subsidizes most of the LDP program because it involves a hotel room and meals and programming and of course Dr. Norse's consultancy. So, but we do ask that participants uh, pay a registration fee of $350 for the year. And that really covers some of the programming and part of their hotel room as well. Now, if they're local, and we've had local folks who didn't need a hotel room, or maybe they have friends in the area, who knows? We actually reduce that by $100 to $250. And then you asked about CEUs, and yes, you can get CEUs. We apply every year, and we have been approved for CEUs for LDP 12. And so it's Two point, and forgive me because I hope I'm saying this right. Vicki, help me please. But 2.15 CEUs can be earned upon completion of the program. Yes. So like 21 and a half hours in translation. <laughs> See, I have my CAE, which is Certified Association Exec, and they don't do hours. They do more like points. And so I get confused sometimes, but I always have Vicki to straighten me out. <laughs> Okay, so then personal joy moment. Vicki, when you're on the other side and you see these people graduating from this year-long mentorship program, do you have, like, in your, through your lens, where do you see the end results go and how does this move us forward? Yeah, I see it everywhere. I see it in very obvious places, like on our committees, boards, councils, serving either as members, as chairs for those groups, people serving on the convention program committee, all of those kinds of sort of obvious places. But you also see it on community sites for the special interest groups, as an example. And that's another leadership, obvious leadership places, the coordinating committees for special interest groups. But Even the people who post a message on a community site, who offer information or a suggestion in response to a member's question, I see it in the feedback that we get for peer reviews when we've got documents or changes to standards that need to be implemented and we're asking for member input. It's everywhere, state associations, related professional organizations. The American Cochlear Implant Alliance includes individuals within our professions, the American Cleft Palate Association. So all of those kinds of groups offer opportunities for ASHA members to assert their leadership and leadership skills, either as members of those organizations or in leading roles within those kinds of organizations and contexts. Yes, and to support what Vicki said, I always say at the graduation of the LDP grad, uh, participants, 
I used to say, I look forward to the day that I see an LDP graduate on the ASHA board of directors. And I can't say that anymore because we've had several. So now I say, I look forward to the day that I see an LDP graduate as the president of ASHA's board of directors. And I do believe it's coming and probably coming soon. That'd be amazing. A dear mentor was on here not too long ago, and I was like, can we nominate you? Can you do this? And she was like, let's put it in the universe. (laughs) 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 That that made me chuckle because by the time this airs, I'm sure that the names will have been put forth. (laughs) I will know the result. I will know whether or not it was in the universe. (laughs) Nominations closed yesterday, actually, for the board of directors. Open positions. But but see what you what y'all are talking about is the volunteer work. Everything you rattled off, all those committees, it's volunteers. I don't know where the disconnect happens between graduate school and those early careers, right? But there is a disconnect in that moment where people don't realize, or maybe they weren't ever exposed to or privy to how much volunteer work it takes to move associations, whether it be at the state or at the national level. And I yeah. feel like we need to get there. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I talk to the students about all the time is that ASHA has this reputation as this ethereal body. We tend to, and I always thought that was the case too, that you know, when people talk about ASHA, it's like, Ooh, Asha. You just start <laughs> looking up in the clouds like Mothership. something's going to come down um, from the heavens and, you know, certify you. But the reality is ASHA is, as an organization, is a group of people. It's a combination of the people who work here, the people who belong to the association, who choose to be members, and the people who choose to actively engage to work as a part of the changes that the association stands for, works toward. So that whole notion and that kind of real people piece of what ASHA is and does isn't clear to a lot of our members. And I think there's a level of disappointment, if you will, that comes with joining an organization as big as ASHA is and not having that immediate connection and then, you know, losing that A connection at all over time and feeling like all I do is pay for this as opposed to where's the value, what's in it for me. And I think, you know, those of us who have decided for whatever reason that, you know, it's a part of our life's work to actively engage and be involved, do so not necessarily because we want the organization to do for us, but because we feel that we can do and make the organization what it should be for all of us. So it's an interesting phenomenon. And associations were basically built as self-help organizations. They were built to help people come together to accomplish things. And the reality is people now look for associations to do for them. And, you know, there's probably a happy medium somewhere between those two in terms of 
where we as an association should be and could be on a regular basis. But those of us who, then I should say those of us, because I actually do get paid to do what I do, but those who choose to volunteer and serve in those roles, there are limited official places where they can do that. I mean, there's only so many committees, boards, and councils, and so many seats on those committees, boards, and councils. So the trick is to look at, you know, what is it that I need to be able to help do or help accomplish? How can I serve? And then where is the opportunity to do that? And it may not be in that official capacity. And I think, again, that gets at that broader definition of leadership and how we think about ourselves as leaders and what we have to offer. Yes. And so I'm trying to think of like specific actionable items. So when we think about ASHA committees, because there are not enough there, and also you need to practice and grow your skills. It's, I mean, bless my oldest is still learning to ride a bike. He had a gnarly concussion when he was five and it, you know, compromised some of our coordination and we've had to recover from it. Right. But when we don't practice it, you can always see him kind of wibble wobbling away. Bless him. He's fearless. He gets on there and I'm like, oh, I don't want stitches today. But like, <laughs> this is my, this is my analogy. But one awesome way to start to pay it forward is through your state association. And one thing that I have heard time and again is case in point here in South Carolina, our, our state early intervention system is antiquated methodology. We at Skisha have been advocating, but it has taken years of advocacy to get to the changes that we have that are currently rolling out now, right? Because Skisha did not know that there were deficits within the baby net system because the executive board of Skisha did not have anybody working in that field. There was no representative of that subspecialty on their board, right? So we had to identify it and then work to resolve it. And what I heard was, well, how come ASHA doesn't come in and fix this problem? And, you know, on the surface, that's a good question. But what I learned going through the leadership development program was ASHA has national lobbyists. This is why we have the ASHA PAC to advocate at the national level, but it is your state association and your state registered lobbyists that has to adhere to state legislative policy that they can advocate for. So if you're sitting there and you have a problem or a concern or a worry, start with hone your leadership skills and then speak it to your state association because oftentimes it's at that level that you can affect immediate change in your backyard, right? You got y'all can't see me because the camera froze, but I like straight up went like my daddy gospel preaching in the back, like <laughs> like ancestor <laughs> moment. <laughs> okay, but now not everybody can take off and dedicate a year to the LDP program, and right. I know it's very. I don't know how I I managed it, but what is the leadership umbrella, and what all are the other options? Yeah, so back in 2017 we realized that the leadership development program so well received so popular but that we graduate 60 members a year and in order to allow all of our members to grow their leadership skills we had to kind of think outside the box and so what we developed was the leadership academy 
which is a virtual program, web page, website, that can be found off of ASHA.org. And the easiest way to do it at this point would be go to the search item on uh, ASHA.org and type in Leadership Academy, and it'll bring you right there. For those familiar with community sites, that's what it is. So why did we do it? We wanted something virtual so all members of ASHA, and frankly, even non-members, so we wanted all SLPs and ODS out there to develop their leadership skills based on their time, based on their interest, even based on their budget, because it's free to register and view everything. CEUs, there's a low-cost assessment to view the webinars, but to get CEUs, but what is it composed of? We have various components. We have 15 webinars, and actually, Michelle, you would be familiar with some from the LDP program, because Dr. Kevin Norse and Dr. Granger, Tasha Granger, they do the DEI, and Dr. Norse does all the rest of the leadership program webinars. So there's one on emotional intelligence, one on building healthy teams, strategic thinking, conflict management, I can go on and on. And so there are also 15 or so corresponding assessments to those webinars so that you can take an assessment, see where your growth areas are, where your strengths are, and then go watch the webinar where perhaps you need to boost up some skills. We have other areas and you could do them, you know, it's there, it's a website, it's, you know, 24-7, 365 days a year. So it's there if you want it at nine in the morning or nine at night. There is a resource area where there are articles and books, links to TED Talks on leadership so that you can kind of drill down and see what interests you in that library. There are pathways. What we hear about at ASHA is, oh, how can I get involved with ASHA? Number one, we say there are many ways besides your traditional committee board council appointments. And we try to show that in leadership pathway videos. We highlight four members and their pathway to volunteering at ASHA. Who came through their state association? Who came through the SIGs? who came through a related professional organization or the Minority Student Leadership Program. So there's different paths. There's no one way to become a volunteer leader. And finally, we also have in there links to all the other leadership programs and mentoring programs that ASHA has. It's like a one-stop shop. That's what I kind of call it. Honestly, I think it perfectly matches the branding portal. Like to me, like they like overlap so intimately because when you're working on your leadership development skills, you're also working on your brand image, like you're branding your yourself. personal brand. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. It's not only so when we designed the content for the LDP, as well as the Leadership Academy, we thought of a Venn diagram. And the Venn diagram is two circles that intersect. And so the one circle would be for your profession, everything you need to know, those leadership skills for your profession, and all those skills you need in your volunteer life, and then maybe even a third circle for your personal life, because you can work, you know, sometimes you need those skills to work with your significant other too. So, (laughs) and where... (laughs) 
<laughs> I've used them. And where you intersect, where they intersect, that sweet spot is where the content of the LDP and the Leadership Academy lives. So you can use it throughout your life. Mm-hmm. I'm only laughing so hard because we just did a Venn diagram with my eight-year-old. And frame of reference, our boys are at a Mandarin immersion school. So half the day is taught in Mandarin. Mommy speaks English and bad English. I don't speak Mandarin. So we did a Venn diagram for the Lunar New Year. And they have to pick a holiday that they celebrate. So my youngest chose Thanksgiving, but my family is Padawamic and Cherokee first. And so our perspective on Thanksgiving is rooted from that lens. So his Venn diagram was probably the most unique Venn diagram. <laughs> and I was like, well, baby, you have to remember your wording because not everybody views Thanksgiving the way Pack Dawson does. That's what we call our family because we got a bunch of dogs. But like I definitely used some of the stakeholder buy-in and that I learned from the LDP program to make the second grade Venn diagram. We survived. (laughs) (laughs) But Vicki, could you talk about like, what have you seen when people give feedback or talk about the, I keep wanting to call it the umbrella because that's what it was when I first saw it, but the online portal, what have you heard in your seat? It's been all good. I think to Andrea's point, people have found ways to use the resources to help them in so many different aspects of their personal and professional lives, not just the work that they're doing officially through some capacity with a state association-related organization or ASHA, but also in everyday work where they're working with colleagues to, you know, come up with new solutions or to make some really tough decisions with constrained resources or to resolve conflicts with a colleague to advocate for some new program or resource that they need with a supervisor. So all of those kinds of situations put us in a position where we can call on those skills and put them to great use. And we've heard members tell just so many stories about using those skills in those kinds of situations. So the resources are there for the taking. We want to make sure people understand that they aren't built just for people to come and serve on a committee board or a council. You know, one thing I wanted to mention too about the availability that ASHA is trying to provide to the professions as a whole and to our partners, state associations and related organizations is within that leadership academy, there's something called the Leadership Development Program Toolkit. So ASHA recognizes that state associations, smaller related organizations probably don't have the resources the money to hire a Dr. Norris or the deep volunteer base to develop an LDP. So what we did here at ASHA is we developed an LDP toolkit, which is step-by-step instructions, literally step-by-step along with templates and flyers to allow these smaller organizations to develop their own LDP using the content of the academy, those webinars, as the content for their LDP. Because, Michelle, what those one-hour webinars would look very 
familiar to you because of your experience in the LDP, and now state associations and related professional organizations are using them. One off the top of my head is Illinois has had an LDP program going strong now for three or four years, and it's been well-received using the content we provide through the Academy. Amber Heap, Dr. Amber Heap from here in South Carolina created one. And we, to my knowledge, I think they just graduated their second cohort from LDP for Skisha. And one of the first alumni that went through is already Dr. Christine Lewis. She's already serving as VP of membership and outreach for Skisha. So she immediately took it and then implemented it, stepped up and is serving on the board to like, and oh my gosh, she is vivacious. That her public speaking skills, I love a good lecture where like I'm hanging on and like, you know, where are they going to take me? Which ways like it entertains me, right? And that's how I learn best. And watching her, she was working that stage and I was like, oh, she will go far. But she got so much from the LDP program that Amber, and I know she had someone else help her set it up. And forgive me, I cannot remember who Amber. So if you're listening, thank you. And whoever the partner was that has slipped my mind. But that's just it. Like there's a way to serve. That's just it. There's a way to serve. We all find ourselves and we're drawn to this profession because altruism, right? Like my dad said, my grandma explained, sometimes you're just called to be a healer and you're not quite which sure which way you're going to help heal, but you heal. Okay. So one thing that I will plug in now right now is that when you're going through these opportunities and you're pursuing your leaderships, one bit of advice that was given to me was shine through your cracks. You don't have to look polished. You don't have to look put together. We are all glorious train wrecks at least once in our life. And, And something that I have been very forthcoming about my own personal journey is I am a domestic abuse survivor. I am alive because once a very long time ago, I took the bullets out of a gun. And when I was a full-time graduate student and working full-time as a speech teacher in Virginia, this was back in the day before we had SLPA, my ex-husband, I'd go home and he'd beat that relevant thunk out of me. And I have used this platform as an opportunity to take away the myth that domestic abuse is reserved for minority, lower socioeconomic status, heterosexual relationships. It knows no boundaries and it will impact everyone. So on that note, shine through your cracks because I kid you not, the amount of colleagues that I have come up and had speak to me afterwards or asked to have a meeting to find resources so that they're safe through my leadership opportunities that I've been afforded is profound. And I know that it never gets easier as I'm sitting here crying on the phone with the ASHA CEO, but like, (laughs) Um, absolutely okay. (laughs) But that's something that we have to pay that forward to. And you know what, Michelle, ASHA's Minority Student Leadership Program was designed to help people do exactly that. The program itself originated because of a conversation I had with another staff member about the need for us to find a way to make some of of the opportunities available that 
have been denied for so long for some within our professions. And this was more than 20 years ago. That conversation was one that I shared because the person was the then director of convention and meetings, Cheryl Russell, who said to me, you know, we could do, you know, some kind of a backstage look at the convention and how the association works if you wanted to bring in, you know, a group of students from underrepresented backgrounds, we could figure out a way to make that work. I mentioned that to the then director of membership, Pat Cole. And Dr. Pat Cole, for those who know her, Pat does not do anything at a normal level. Pat will take anything and blow it up as big as it possibly can be. And that's exactly what she did and and created the original version of the MSLP. I've worked with Pat and Sylvia Martinez, another member in the Office of Multicultural Affairs, and Melanie Johnson in membership. So the partnership between the Office of Multicultural Affairs and our membership units to collaborate and bring to life this program came out of how do we give people an opportunity to shine who just haven't had it, you know, to actually shine through their cracks. And, you know, all of us in whatever state we're in show that value and bring that to a level where we can build people up again. Over the years, the program has progressed and morphed and changed into what it is today, pandemic notwithstanding. The pandemic put a dent in it like it has done with everything, but we now have over 700 individuals who've participated in that program. As Andrea said about the LDP, they've commented, this program changed my life. They've become ambassadors for ASHA. They recognize, they know because of the experiences they had as a part of that program, they know the kinds of resources and information that's available from their professional association. And their job was to then take that back and share it, to share it with other students, share it with faculty to make sure others know. And they've done an amazing job of doing that. They have risen within the ranks of ASHA over the 20 plus years that the program's been in existence. And it's one of those that came out of a simple need that has now turned into infrastructure for the association to allow us to maintain and sustain that kind of support. The pandemic had its own kind of reinvention for us because we weren't able to bring students in for a face-to-face meeting at the convention. And basically the MSLP happens in parallel to the ASHA convention. We always make sure we tell the students they're coming to participate in the student leadership development program, not necessarily to come (laughs) to the convention because there are many parts of the convention they never see because we got to keep them working on the things that the 
program provides and the opportunities that are there. But those are opportunities that they might not otherwise have. They've got individuals who are subject matter experts who are available to them. Basically, the program has been redesigned the last time I redesigned it, and it is going to go through another metamorphosis with our, Andrea mentioned our new chief staff officer for multicultural affairs. So once she sees the program in its real form in 2023, she will then have an opportunity to put her handprint on the program and figure out what it needs to help students who will become the leaders of the future in the professions. But the program has a team-oriented function. So the students come in, they are immediately grouped into teams they have to learn how to establish group norms, how to address issues when members of their teams who've been assigned a particular role aren't going to be available. So the PhD student, for example, that might be on their team who needs to go to the research or academic town meeting at the convention and they get excused to go do that, there's some work that's happening while they're doing that how are they going to bring that person back up to speed? How are they going to make sure that person you know, knows what's supposed to happen next and can keep going, keep things in stride? The program is one that allows them to see the strengths that they have. One of the things I love about being in this role as ASHA's CEO, I don't need to know everything. Fortunately, I've got Andrea and 307 other people who know what they know, do what they do within their area of expertise. And there are some things that I know. I just need people to know the things that I don't know. (laughs) So bringing those people together. And again, to me, that's a sign of leadership. You bring together the people that are going to be able to help you do the things that you need to do. So students in this leadership program are learning how to do that on a very small scale with a particular issue that is relevant to the professions. They present that information in a very unique way. We've got a group of leaders, organizational leaders that come in and give the students feedback. I mean, the program has become more than any of us ever thought it would be. And the thought that we would have four or 500 students participating during the pandemic was one that we didn't anticipate, nor could we have planned for, but we were able to be flexible, to adjust, to allow some components of the program to be provided to students, period, any student who wanted to develop their leadership skills. So the last two years, we had what we called MSLP Presents, and we presented leadership development opportunities specifically targeted to students, one of which was a Jeopardy game that talked about leadership categories across the board and was so much fun. Um, So (laughs) I figure out how to repackage that and to allow that to live beyond the pandemic. But like I said, the program has taken a life of its own and the individuals who are now, again, no longer students, but MSLP alum, have done some amazing things within the professions, including serving on ASHA's board of directors. We have, I've forgotten the number six, I think now, 
who are on staff here at ASHA. So that was never something that we had thought, you know, we're providing people to serve in those kinds of leadership roles. Actually, Dr. Megan Brett Hamilton was in the program in, I think, its second year, second or third year. So it's just the program has created individuals who had, they had these leadership skills. It's not like we created the skills. It has highlighted skills that these individuals had and put them in a position, given them access to opportunities and resources that they might not, might being the operative word there, might not have had access to, or they wouldn't have had access to it as soon as they did in their careers. Yes. FERPA, but one of my students was accepted and it's lovely and the utter joy in her soul at this opportunity. And being on this side and just watching it, like, it's just profound. I'm crying again. Oh, my gosh. But, like, <laughs> it is. And, and, folks, one thing that happens if you go through these programs, there's a call to action. So, Erin, is it Erin? Erin Alter? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. She sends out emails to the alumni and says, hey, there's all these applications. Can you help sort through the applications? And I sign up every time. I love it. And you know why I love it? Because it gives me hope. Yes. Is it a gobstop amount of work that I'm sitting there on Friday night on the corner of a couch while the children are watching something explode on TV? Yes. (laughs) But they're boys and like, how many robots can explode? Right. But like, it gives me hope that we are moving forward and that we're getting voices that would not have been heard in our profession. And I am not a South Carolina girl by birth. I'm a Virginia girl by birth, but living in South Carolina this close to the I-95 corridor of shame and having that heavy on our minds. And if y'all aren't familiar with it, do yourself a Google on the I-95 corridor of shame and then you will be appalled. But (laughs) it's how can we... How can... I mean, like, is that that's a fair statement, but like, there it is. But like, we... How can we move this and empower. And that's what leadership is about. You are advocating for your colleagues. You are advocating for your patients across the life continuum. And you are ASHA and you are your state association. So like my daddy said, put your britches on. And in that next breath, Okay. He also was Navy intelligence. So like there was a whole lot of four letter words in my dad's iteration. I just generated that for the audience. (laughs) Oh, bless. That's an understatement. Okay. So we have covered so much, but can you give us your parting thoughts, your parting? I mean, do you have something that you, you wish folks knew when you, I'm sure y'all get the emails and the posts that are just unpleasant, but is there something you wish that folks knew? How much time do we have? Um, <laughs> the microphone is yours. I just have to pick up my children in an hour. <laughs> there are so many things. I think that for me, one of the things that I want folks to know is that ASHA is 223,000 people strong right now. It is an organization of diverse perspectives. It is a truly microcosm of society. When you look at ASHA membership and where we come from and the kinds of experiences 
that we've had, how we reflect that back in the work we do has to take into consideration what we've gained, what's been poured into all of us. And I think it is a function of us tapping into a few key leadership skills. One of those being our ability to listen and to really listen to each other. Listen, not just to figure out what we're supposed to say next, but to listen to understand, to listen to really be able to spit back, okay, what you just said to me was X, Y, Z. And once we've listened, then to work together in a collaborative way, we assume collaboration is us just coming together and talking. No, that's not collaboration. That's me talking, you listening, me listening, you talking, sometimes us talking at the same time. But True collaboration is identifying what our goals are, identifying those goals that we can work together on, and then brainstorming some possible solutions because the likelihood of us working together and coming up with those solutions is going to generate even more of them. So I really want people to walk away from this with stop, listen, recognize that as a leader, if we listen, we stand to gain significantly and then collaborate, truly collaborate. It takes a lot more time. It takes a lot more energy to do all of those things. But we stand to gain so many better solutions, so many better possibilities, so many better options for the clients, patients, and students that we serve. So it's well worth the time, well worth the effort, but it takes that recognition first. Mm -hmm. So for me, I would say that what I hear before people enter the LDP is, oh, I can't do that. I could never dream of doing that volunteer role. I don't have those skills. And after the LDP or in general, you know, confidence. You need to have confidence. Build your confidence. And I think that's what leadership training does. It builds confidence to say, yes, I can. And the more you do it and exercise that muscle, the better you get at it. And, you know, way back in my early career, you know, a wise person told me, they said, sometimes you have to go out on a limb, Andrea, because after all, isn't that where the fruit is? You got to give it a chance. And, you know, I try to live by that, you know, whether it's in my glasswork, oh, let me try this. It might be a disaster and I might fail, but hey, who knows? But, and we try it here at ASHA, we're innovative, we give it a shot. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't turn out, the way you expect, but you have to try. And that's what I think leadership training can give people is the confidence to try. Hmm. I'm just soaking it all in. This is lovely. This is lovely. Thank y'all. So Vicki, I just have a nosy question. What was your area of focus? Like what kind of patients did you work with? (laughs) It was early intervention. Really? Yeah. Yeah. But primarily pre-K in that three to five age range, 
once kids hit six, they, to me, had an attitude that <laughs> just didn't want to deal with. So, you know, it was anything under six. But one of the things that, and I didn't share this when you asked me about how I got into the professions, one of the things that I do want to make sure is clear, as I started practicing, I practiced in the area of cultural and linguistic diversity almost exclusively. I worked at the Cleveland Hearing and Speech Center in outside center services. We had contracts with all the Head Starts daycare centers in and around Cleveland. And in that role, the woman who hired me, well, she didn't hire me technically, but she was my supervisor. And one of the things that she told people on my first day was that I was the smartest person in the room. So imagine my surprise thinking, I just got out of school. I don't know anything. But what happened was people then started, okay, well, little Miss Smarty Pants, what do you know? And I thought, okay, well, here's what I know. I know that you all are using standardized assessment tools that really don't work for the kids that we're talking to that we're dealing with. So we need to make some changes there. I know that the fact that we are going in and doing these mass screenings and disappearing isn't helping anybody with anything. So there were those kinds of things that I had opportunities to just, and it's been a luxury most of my professional life and the times where I didn't have the luxury of doing this and did it anyway, I realized very quickly the consequences of that. But I had the luxury of basically just being me and just saying what I thought and seeing what happened. It was one of those, what's the worst that can happen kind of attitudes. And I came to work at ASHA on a grant project that ASHA had with the Department of Education to train speech language pathologists and audiologists to work with minority and bilingual kids. Did that for a while. And again, sponsors who just kept their hands on me. But I got to a point where I needed to do something else. I needed to grow on my own. I needed a new challenge. So I left ASHA and I left the professions. I became a corporate trainer for Fannie Mae and trained for five years, did corporate training on leadership development, on conflict management, on interpersonal skills. I managed, they had a tuition reimbursement program, managed that. They had an executive leadership program that I coordinated, which gave me an opportunity to sit in and hear the kinds of things that they were talking to you know, folks who were MBAs and business folks. And I stayed at Fannie Mae. Basically, Fannie Mae then launched their diversity program. And I was the only one that had any diversity experience in training and development. So they raised my hand for me, but it gave me an opportunity <laughs> to, to make that connection. But in that time frame, what I realized was the kinds of things that I was seeing in that corporate arena and the kinds of things that it would take in managing in an organization like ASHA were not unsimilar. 
So when I had the opportunity to come back to ASHA, Fred Spar, one of ASHA's former, well, then executive director, decided that he wanted to restructure the association and the management of the association. So I was able to come back to ASHA and bring those skills with me. And Mary, as, as Andrea was saying earlier, this business management leadership all of that knowledge with our professions and what we need within a professional association. So it's been a labor of love. It really has. And like I said, the early intervention, I still miss the kids. I'm waiting on my kids to have grandkids. Um, so I still miss the kids, but when they're six, they go back to their parents. <laughs> I get them until they start two word combos. I get the mathematically yeah. <laughs> complex children, but once you start two-word combos, you don't need the moose shell. You need the next therapist. And exactly. so feeding, swallowing, and AAC, I'm game, but like syntax, that is, that's above my pay grade. <laughs> I never got a chance to do all the feeding and swallowing pieces because it was just starting to become a thing back in the times when I was in school. So, I mean, I even put on our PFD advocacy shirt to record in today. So, <laughs> it says, folks, it says, I fight for kids with PFD. Thank you, Feeding Matters. Huzzah. But yes, <laughs> well, everybody, thank you. Thank you. Thank you with my whole heart for sharing your time and your talents with us. This just means the world to me because LDP meant the world to me. And I am here and I get to elevate voices that wouldn't otherwise know about these opportunities and expedite research to practice because of the tool set that I had. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity too. Yes. Thank um, you. Yes. And my day job is calling. So I need to <laughs> run off to a meeting. Um, you have a line at your door there. Yes, I can see it through the camera. Well, thank you very much. And I'm going to hit stop. Folks, go follow them at Asha Webb on Instagram and First Bite Podcast on Instagram. Feeding Matters guides system-wide changes by uniting caregivers, professionals, and community partners under the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Alliance. So what is this alliance? The Alliance is an open access collaborative community focused on achieving strategic goals within three focus areas, education, advocacy, and research. So who is the Alliance? It's you. The Alliance is open to any person passionate about improving care for children with a pediatric feeding disorder. To date, 187 professionals, caregivers, and partners have joined the Alliance. You can join today by visiting the Feeding Matters website at www.feedingmatters.org. Click on PFD Alliance tab and sign up today. Change is possible when we work together. That's a wrap, folks. Once again, thank you for listening to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional. I'm your humble but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Please check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode, as well as the ones that are archived. And as always, remember, feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies.
Hey, so it's Michelle Dawson here, and I need to lay out my disclosure statements. So uh, if you ever wondered how bad my ADD, ADHD, and lack of sleep Monday through Monday actually is, well, here you go. These are my non-financial disclosure statements. I volunteer with Feeding Matters. I'm a former treasurer with the Council of State Association Presidents. I'm a past president with the South Carolina Speech Language Hearing Association. I am a current member of both ASHA and SCISHA. And for this year, for 2021, I volunteered for the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Planning Committee for the ASHA 2021 convention. My financial disclosures All right. So I receive compensation for first bite presentations, as well as talking teletherapy and understanding dysphagia from speechtherapypd.com. I also receive royalties from speechtherapypd.com for ongoing webinars that I have on their website, as well as compensation from PESI Incorporate for a lecture course that a webinar that I have on their website as well. I am coordinator for clinical education and clinical assistant professor for the Masters of Speech Language Pathology program at Francis Marion University in Florence, South Carolina, for which I receive an annual salary. I also receive royalties from the sale of my book, Chasing the Swallow, Truth, Science, and Hope for Pediatric Feeding and Swallowing Disorders, that I self-published and is available on Amazon. And I do receive royalties from the accompanying 13 and a half hour CEU for the book from speechtherapypd.com. So yeah, I stay pretty busy, but those are my financial and non-financial disclosures. If you ever have any questions, please feel free to reach out. All right. Thanks y'all. Bye. The views and opinions expressed in today's podcast do not reflect the organizations associated with the speakers and are their views and opinions solely.